Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Well, good morning slash good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Merry Christmas. Um, welcome. It's great to see everyone. It's great to be here. We thank God for what he's doing in and through our lives. If you're here for the first time, again, welcome especially. We have, over the past four weeks, been doing a, a Christmas special. Uh, a Christmas special series, if you like. Um, and it's in the book of Ruth. And our title for the series is Challenges, Choices, and God's great providence. And that's what we've been talking about over the past month, culminating in, in today's message, right on the cusp of Christmas. We've seen how this small, old, broadly unfamiliar portion of Scripture relates to us in our modern, contemporary, 21st century context, have we not? And the Bible has a habit of doing that. As long as people are involved, the Bible is relevant. Now, before we jump into our final portion of this remarkable book, here we are. It's Christmas week. A few shopping days are left. We're going to go get our Christmas tree tomorrow. Been a bit busy, so. How are you getting on? Now, you ask the ladies and you get one answer. You ask the, the fellas and you get another. Ladies probably done their shopping already. Food and presents. Hey. The men are still constructing a list. And when it, and when it, comes, to, when it comes to... That's obviously an overgeneralization, right? When it comes to gifts... I mean, if you know, Christmas... It's a time of giving presents in the main to those who aren't deserving. More often than not, you give gifts to people not because they worked for them or not because they earned these particular gifts. Gifts, by by definition, more often than not, come as a result of the kind-heartedness of the giver. Is that a fair statement? Does every boss deserve a present? Don't answer that. It's a rhetorical question. (laughs) Good good thing I put it in this order. Do all husbands deserve a a present? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Do all wives... Amen. I hear husbands say yes. Amen. Do all all wives deserve a present? Ooh. I heard all the women say yes. (laughs) Kids. That our children deserve presents. Multiple ones at that. Deep down, do you deserve a present? (laughs) Ought we not to thank God amongst many other wonderful things? One of the greatest things about Christmas is we give gifts unconditionally. Amen? Not because the boss deserves it. Now, some of you feel bad because you never bought your boss a present, right? Not because your wife, your husband, the kids, your parents, friends, neighbors. Not because they deserved it. Today, we're going to see how God provides gifts, plural, for those who are undeserving. Our title for today's message is Restoration, Reward, and redemption. Restoration, reward, and redemption. Would you turn with me for the last time, at least for this season, to Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to be reading a few verses just from verse 13 to 22. Pastor E brought us right up to speed, so I only have a few verses to deal with, to tackle Whatever that means time-wise, I'm not sure. Verse 13 to the end of the chapter. 
it says so Boaz took Ruth actually let's let's just pray before we read father thank you for your word thank you father that we see in your word everything that we need everything that not just that we desire but everything we need for life and godliness Father, would you take your word, your incredible, amazing, inerrant, unfailing, perfect, predictive. Thank you, Lord, your word, the scripture says, Lord, that you've exalted it above your name. That means it's really important. Father, would you take your word and would you impact our hearts and in due process our lives um, for the sake of the Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, Lord, today in the run-up to Christmas. For Jesus' sake, because he's the reason for the season. And we ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. 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 And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer. Restorer. Restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Restoration, reward, and redemption. Now, with regards to the title, you may be familiar with the first two, but maybe not so much the third. Restoration, what does it mean? It means restitution or reinstatement. It's restoring something that was lost. Number two is reward. Now, reward is remuneration. As opposed to remuneration, there's a difference. Renumeration, which means to give back in return. To give back in return. Reward. And then the third thing is redemption. This is, a bit of, this is probably the most tricky one. And we've been trying to, to explain it as we've been going along. Redemption is the, is the payment of a price to secure release. The payment of a price to purchase something back. Now we'll come back to these throughout our message. Now how many of you have heard of a prequel? Put your hand up. A prequel. Amen. It's a story that precedes an already existing story. A sequel, on the other hand, is a film that comes after an already existing story is like chronological order. A prequel, however, describes that which came before. So you heard of the film The Hobbit, right? What is The Hobbit the prequel to? Lord of the Rings. You see, the Lord of the Rings came out first, but then they were like, oh, you don't know how this all came about. So you look at the prequel later, even though it comes prior, And it tells you how Bilbo Baggins became Bilbo Baggins. And here's me talking about Bilbo Baggins like I know. I still ain't watched the film. I mentioned this one Christmas and somebody bought it for me 
I think she's, I can't see her in the room, but I know she's here because I saw her, gave her a hug this morning. Young lady, she heard me preaching about um, Lord of the Rings. And when I preached about it back then, I hadn't watched it. So she kindly bought me the trilogy. And, and boy, Lord forgive me, I still ain't watched it yet. <laughs> Maybe this Christmas I'll get a chance to watch it. Other examples of a prequel would be Phantom Menace. What was Phantom Menace the prequel to? Star Wars. All right, then. How about Batman Begins? It came, the Batman movie came out, I think, and then they brought out Batman Begins after to show you how Batman began. Other ex- Welcome today to the Christmas Story prequel, Ruth. This is a part of the backstory to our well-known Christmas story. Now, many of us know the main story to some degree. I mean, there's always something new that we can learn, right? But do you know the backstory? Do you know the backstory? I mean, the Bible is a big book, right? Now, we know the Christmas story, but the Christmas story starts way into the book. You know what I mean? Look at, the, look at the rest. I mean, you can't do this with an iPad, right? Look at the rest. Look how big and fat and chunky the Old Testament is. That's all the backstory. Twenty, you know, there's, there's, there's 27 books in the New Testament. How many in the Old? 39, and they're massive. Some of them, 50 chapters. Now, <clears throat> we're looking at... A, a portion of the backstory, just to bring you up to speed, in case you're here maybe for the first time or you just joined us. In this short book, we have three main characters. First of all, there's an older woman who has been very bitter and has been blaming God for her misfortune. Granted, she's lost her husband who died. She's lost not one, but two sons who have both died. She's at risk of losing all rights to her property. She's poor, destitute, and helpless. She seems to have no hope of future security. And apart from her overlooked daughter-in-law, she's a lonely, bitter widow. Our second character is is a young woman... And she spent most of her life in an ungodly environment. She's been in a country that's famous for idol worship and a common practice of child sacrifice. She also has experienced death, that of her husband. And apart from her mother-in-law, she too is alone, living in an unfamiliar foreign country. Yet she seems to have an upbeat optimistic outlook on life. She is, in contrast to her mother-in-law, she's, she's lovingly committed to God, despite her challenges, her trials, and her difficulties. Now, a third character is male. He's, he's, he's a man, as opposed to the two ladies. He's rich. He's mature in years, but he's single. He has everything that a man could dream of. He's got a fruitful career. His his business is booming. But he has no legacy. He's worked hard to build a successful business. But he's got no one to leave it to. He's got no wife. He's got no children. And in that sense, he's lonely. You see how we can relate to this stuff? Because maybe it's Christmas and... You know, everyone's excited and there's a lot going on. And maybe you personally, particularly, find yourself in a lonely place. You know, you can be in a room full of people and still be very lonely. You can be in a house full of family and still be very lonely. Not to mention the fact that you can be on your own and feel desperately lonely. There's much in the scriptures that we can relate to. And this man... You can see him after having a drink with his work colleagues after work. He goes home to an empty house, home to an empty bed. Yet he, like Ruth, 
He's also very upbeat and he has a cheerful personality. In spite of his challenges, he's a very godly man. Now last week in a twist of quote-unquote fate, we see the fortunes of all three of these radically change. This rich Israelite businessman, his name is Boaz. And the poor young foreign woman is Ruth and they get together. Have a look with me at verse 13. If you've got a Bible, I really encourage you to do so because you actually get more out of the message when you kind of have your head in the text. You don't have to turn anywhere. I'm going to ask you to just keep your Bible open right here in Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to show you all the associated verses by God's grace. That means I've not gone through the thing properly. (laughs) So hopefully. Boaz and Ruth, they come together. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. I mean, wow. If you were with us in chapter 1, you would say along with me to verse 13, wow. The, this rich man and Ruth, it's like the royal prince and Cinderella. It's like this ain't supposed to happen. But for these two faith-filled believers, we see tremendous blessing. And this story doesn't end after the fashion in which it began. That should be a word of encouragement to you if you're going through a difficult time. This story doesn't end after the fashion in which it began. And if you, like Ruth, like Boaz, have put your trust in a living God, the same will be true for I can say it unequivocally and without hesitation that the same will be true for you. Boaz and, and Ruth get married. Now, that's not what I'm saying is going to be true for you. That may happen. But I'm saying eventually in the end, like this story, things are going to end well if you're in Christ. Boaz and Ruth, now they get married. Listen to what Ruth's mother-in-law said back in chapter 1. If you're feeling like, fair enough, it happened for them, but boy, I can't see how it's going to happen to me. That is things getting better. You sound a bit like Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, verse 11 to 13 says, but Naomi said, turn back my daughters. This is after her sons had died, her husband had died. Turn back my daughters. Will you go with me? This is her going back to Israel. Have I yet sons in my womb that, you, that, that they may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters. Go your way. For I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Hear what she's saying? She's saying, forget it. It ain't never going to It can't happen. It's impossible. Go, fi- go figure out your own lives. As I try, go figure out. As I go, roll over into a corner and eventually die. Can you hear the pessimism in her voice? Verse 13, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? Go take your life in your own hands. It's like, Even the God that I represent, I don't think he can help you. She says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And three chapters later, what seemed impossible becomes a possibility. And Boaz and Ruth, I mean, Boaz weren't even on the scene. Oh, my goodness. I can't go back and develop the whole story again, right? Go listen to the MP3 on sermon.net. Just type in Calvary Chapel, South London. Boaz and Ruth get married. And they don't waste no time, right? Look at the middle of verse 13. And he went into her, right? That means they had sexual relations. And, and the Lord gave her conception. How beautiful is that? And she bore us. Because only God can give conception, you know. My gosh. When it seems good and when it quote-unquote, seems bad. Only the Lord God himself can give conception. Only God can give life. And, and she bore a son. Now imagine. Did you, did you remember that Ruth had previously been married to her husband Marlon for how long? Ten years. 
and no children. Not, not, not 10 weeks or 10 months. 10 years. And no children. Now, you could be in a place where you're waiting for something from the Lord. And it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Including children. Can I encourage you to put your trust in God? Because Ruth could have have easily given up. We've seen her have multiple opportunities to do that. But look. She marries Boaz and wham! I mean blam! I mean slam! Immediately she gets pregnant. It must have been excruciating for Ruth. Ten years is a long time. I mean, I have a story I want to tell you so badly. <gasps> Pastor, are you feeling me? <laughs> so badly. But the time ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention the name. No, I can't. I'm not... I- you know, I'm not going to tell this. When I tell the story, I'm going to refer back to this day. If you're here, you will remember. I will make sure you remember. Wow. Hey, mommy. Oh, beautiful. Where's daddy? Is he coming? Parking the car. Oh. Man, I'm like, even though Ruth would have been desperate for a child, especially given the economic circumstances, right? We've talked about that. I mean, her need for a child, wow, it's inexplicable. But it wasn't God's will for her to have a child at that time, during that 10 years. Ruth, Ruth couldn't have children. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that this isn't anything, this isn't anything new. This happened multiple times throughout biblical history. If you remember back in verse 11 last week, when Pastor E done the beginning of chapter 4, we saw a reference to who? To Rachel. In the same way, Rachel couldn't bear children. But she did eventually. Who was her son or sons? Joseph and Benjamin. Her time came. But it must have been difficult, right? How about, how about, how about Manoah? Now, what I, what I want you to notice as I go through this list, that every single one of these children, that these women who are barren, who struggle to have and conceive, every one of these children is... I mean, every child is special, right? But not every child is significant in the same way. These kids are so... I mean... Joseph, how significant was Joseph? I mean, my goodness, the, the, the brother ended up saving the whole of the, the known world at the time because he became second in charge in Egypt, right? How about Manoah? Do you remember who Manoah is? Manoah had problems conceiving. Who did her son end up being? Samson. I'd say he was pretty significant. How about Hannah? who was teased by Penina. Remember, oh, look at you. Not like me. I've got bare kids. Look, she just kept popping them out, right? And poor Hannah, because she couldn't have children. Hannah was barren, and it says, the Lord opened her womb, and here he comes, who? Samuel. Thank you, Ben. How about the classic? Abraham's wife. Sarai, initially, who became Sarah, She was barren. She was barren. Who was her son? Who? Isaac. Isaac. I didn't take the first one because I think it was wrong. Isaac. And from her barrenness, check it, the nations of the earth are blessed. You know, if, if you're a mother or a lady who's struggling to conceive, who knows what God's plan is for you and for a potential baby that you may eventually bear? 
I'm trying to give you some hope and encouragement out here because I know that this is not, this is not just a, an issue that relates to antiquity. This is, this is like, we got, we, we got, we got sisters and, and husbands who are in a place where they're struggling with this same reality. Am I lying? And hopefully this is a word of encouragement. Note well, Isaac, we talked about Isaac being a special baby from a mom who was barren. Isaac's mother was barren and then Isaac's own wife ends up being barren. Who was who? Rebecca. So we named our daughter after. And I'll tell you why for a specific reason in a minute. Genesis 25, 21 says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. How beautiful is that, ladies? Imagine having a husband that prays for you. Fellas, let's take an example from Isaac who prayed to the Lord for his wife. Because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer. Look at that, like effortlessly. You see that? The Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. It's Christmas. We're talking about babies. We're talking about special babies. I remember that this was the verse that inspired me to pray for my wife. At a time when she desired to have a child and she couldn't. And I couldn't fully understand her grief and her pain for a child. Literally, I'd come home when we lived in Stockwell. I'd come home, open the front door from work, one o'clock, because I used to do earlies at that time. One o'clock, two o'clock, open the door, find my wife. Remember, I've got no kids at this point, so the house is quiet, right? Remember them times when the house was quiet? No kids. Come in, and my wife is on the stairs, upside down, all cried out. And initially, I'm like, you know, I'm her husband, right? So I'm not rago, but I'm like, honey, you need to kind of pull yourself together. This is a madness. But I didn't understand how she was feeling. I didn't understand her grief. I didn't understand her pain for a child. And I think you have to be a woman to understand that. But the Lord began to say, Robert, man, this is your wife. And she's in pain. And you're one flesh. And this is the verse that the Lord encouraged me with regards to praying for my wife. Now, you know, Helen, she was diagnosed as unable to conceive children naturally. And we chose not to go the IVF route. And, um, and by God's grace, three years later, my wife conceived. That's why we called our first child Rebecca. Now, you guys don't know her as Rebecca. You know her as Renee. But her name is Rebecca. And, you know, it's funny because my son's name is Jordan. And I, I kind of made a quiet promise to the Lord. I'm telling you. I'm telling you now. Even my wife don't know this. You know what I'm saying? But I determined that when my children are converted, that I would call them not by their first name, but by their Bible name. My son's middle name is Joshua. And he's just come back from Bible college. And I'm going to start calling him Joshua. And I'm praying. And I'd ask you to pray with me for my daughter, for our daughter, for Renee, so there'll be a day when I can call her Rebecca. And we called her Rebecca particularly because my wife was unable to conceive and she did. And Rebecca was, Rebecca is a special child. You know, the Lord used that time to work patience in my wife and he used that time to work compassion in me. And he's obviously still doing that. I think that the Lord, he's still working patience in us and compassion, let me tell you. I think that the Lord always has a purpose that he is in the process of outworking and when we don't get the things that we desire at the time that we want them, God is still working. It doesn't mean he's not working. How about a couple more examples? How about Elizabeth? That's Old Testament. How about Elizabeth in the New Testament? She was the wife of Zechariah, the mother and the father of who? 
John the Baptist. Wow. How significant was he? How many of you know that he had to come at a pinpoint, accurately specific time? Because he, desi- he was designated before time began to be the forerunner of Christ. There weren't no speed in his birth up. Like, that boy weren't coming a millisecond before his time. He would come in God's time and God is in full control or he isn't in control at all. And you know, the psalmist says, he says, weeping in chapter 30, verse 5. He says, weeping endures for a night. The the Bible is crucially honest. You can't can't get away from the night. And there is going to be weeping, but joy comes in the morning. Verse 11 says, the psalmist says, he says to the Lord, Lord, you have turned for me my mourning. My sadness into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth. That's, 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 that's what you wear in that time of mourning. And you've clothed me with gladness. You see, we have to trust God even in the most difficult times. Here's a quote that I gave you before from John Piper. He says, when it seems that God is farthest from you or has even turned against you, Naomi. He is actually laying foundations for your greater happiness. And isn't that statement true of our story? So Ruth is a wife. She's a mother. And we'll be reminded in verse 15 that she's also a daughter-in-law. Now what does this suggest? Our first point. Restoration. Restitution or reinstatement. Restoring something that was lost. Because of this union, Ruth and Naomi are now enjoying blessed. I mean, blessed. Ruth is blessed. (laughs) And Naomi would get her land, her property. She's got a godly son-in-law, which means a secure future. And she's got a beautiful, bouncing baby boy. She's got a grandson. Verse 14. Wow, one verse we've done. Verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, sorry, then the women of the town, remember them from the end of chapter one? The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Now, how many of you know Boaz was definitely a blessing from the Lord, right? Boaz was definitely a redeemer. We saw that last week. And Boaz's name is renowned. I mean, we're talking about, about the man today in Lewisham, southeast London. I'd say that the man is renowned. But there's more going on here than meets the eye. We're going to come back to this in a moment. Look at verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer. There's the restoration again. A restorer of life. And a nourisher of your old age, Naomi, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, wow, has given birth to him. Ooh, it's a bit of a strange turn in the text, but notice the Lord hadn't forgotten Naomi. It may have seemed like it, but he hadn't. Naomi had forgotten in the dark what she had heard in the light. That's why she was so bitter. But Ruth hadn't forgotten. She was trusting in God. And as Boaz had said earlier in chapter 2, do you remember? Boaz makes a startling quote. He says, chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. But Boaz answered her, wow, all that you have done, Ruth, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land And came to a people that you did not know before. Verse 12. The Lord, what? Repay you. For what you have done. And for what? The verses up there ain't going to help me. I put, I mean, goodness. You don't have to turn to your Bible. I put it there up on two screens. (laughs) The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full, I I even put the question mark there for you. A full reward. Reward. 
reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, who, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Second point, reward or remuneration. To give back in return. Reward because it's mentioned in chapter 2, we just read it, and realized here in chapter 4. Reward doesn't equal works. This is still a gift. It's an undeserved blessing from God. This isn't because of Ruth's works, but because of Ruth's what? Ruth's faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Reward. Now, if you look carefully at verse 14 and 15, I kind of mentioned it as we were going through. I didn't want to distract from the reward issue. If you look carefully at verse 14 and 15 of our text, the emphasis shifts off of Boaz, Ruth's husband, onto this new baby. And if you, if you read it too quick, you miss it. But the focus, funnily enough, doesn't just move from Boaz to this new baby. It continues to move from this new child to someone else. And that someone else will be blessed by the Lord in a completely amazing way. He will be a redeemer above all redeemers. He will be renowned in Israel like no other. He will be a restorer of life on a natural level, but also on a spiritual level. We'll come back to this extra special child, if I can get my words out, put my teeth back in. We'll come back to this extra special child, typified by Ruth's child, in a minute. Look at verse 16. Then Naomi took the child. What a moment. Naomi, the unbelieving Naomi. You know, as believers, we can be unbelieving. Lord, forgive us. I believe, Lord, but help my unforgiveness, right? Verse 16, And Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Oh, Lord. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. Now, you know, there's only one person I know in the whole of my entire life named Obed. Where's Daniel? I don't know if Daniel Serene's here. But Daniel Serene has got a brother named Obed, and he's studying in the States. Been out there for about five years. We're looking forward to him coming back and planting a church in London. Hey, pray for Obed. Obed. It's not hard to forget. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, that's amazing. This seemingly insignificant mixed heritage marriage, an older man and a younger woman who both put their faith in the living God. Remember this? This was the family tree. Remember, Naomi was married to Elimelech. Elimelech died. Her two sons were Kilian and Marlon. Both of them died. Orpah was married to Kilian. She went back to Moab. Ruth was married to Marlon. Marlon died. But look what wonderfully happened. Look at this. Can you see that? Look. Can you see it? Oh. See. I love Apple, you know, but I see this program the other night about Apple. It kind of broke my heart still. Anyway. Ruth gets married to Boaz. And Boaz is from the tribe of Judah. And... Oh, my goodness. This marriage becomes an important link in the chain with regards to David's family history because we're going to see Ruth and Boaz's marriage is one of the key links in the chain. And you know, it doesn't stop there. Verse 18, look at the rest of the family line previously. What's the time? Verse 18, now these are the generations of Perez. Now remember, Perez was born as a result of his mother dressing up as a prostitute and having 
sexual relations with her father-in-law, Perez was the result of incest. And you know what? You hear all that, you're like, ooh, ow. Like, you hear all of this, like, really, really messy, ungodly relationships. The drama hasn't even begun yet. So brace yourself. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron, verse 19, fathered Ram, back in Ruth chapter 4. Ram fathered Aminadab, verse 20. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Then we see Boaz's father introduced, verse 21. Salmon, 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 Salmon. He fathered Boaz. Boaz, as we saw, fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, there's possibly some drama surrounding Jesse's family, relating back to David and his birth. I say possibly. You know, Shabazz has has been writing a film for significantly 10 years. And it's a script about the life of David. And he's just in the process of finishing the first film, right? Because it's a trilogy he's writing. He's been chatting to people like Man Who Made X-Men and them kind of really big films. And up until now, had no joy. And I was trying to encourage his heart. The other night we were all together at men's meeting and we were talking about, well, let me come back to this. I said to Shabazz, Shabazz, you know what, bruv? Don't be discouraged because the stuff you want to put in this film, yeah, you couldn't have done it 10 years ago because they never had the CGI and the graphics technology that they got now, bruv. Be encouraged. The time weren't right. You know what I mean? But pray for him because we were talking about like David and he brought up this whole thing about Jesse and David and we were like, whoa. Initially, it was, wait a minute, bro. This sounds like heresy. You know what I mean? But as we talked about it, and he showed us Psalm 69, you know what I'm saying? I say possibly, and he's exploring that. And um, there possibly might have been some drama in David's family with, in, with regards to his birth and his dad. We don't know. He's exploring. Pray for him that you'll bring all of this to light if it's true. But sticking closely to the text, we see mad drama in this family tree, apart from Jesse. Here we come to the end of the prequel. This is the part where you get up and you leave the cinema or you switch off the DVD player, right? Ruth is finished now. The end. But how many of you know it's not the end? How do we then get to the Christmas story? All right, we're going to have to do this quick. Matthew chapter 1. Oh, it's really small, the text, but... Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of who? David, who we just heard mentioned, the last remarks in Ruth 4. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Right, can you see where Ruth leaves off and concludes and then Matthew picks up? But then Matthew goes even further back to who? Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. How many of you know that Abraham comes originally from a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is ancient Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. That's where Abraham comes from. And he was an idol worshipper in that particular place. Even after his conversion, you'd think, okay, he's saved now. He's in a relationship with God. He's a liar. How many of us struggle even after conversion with sin? I know I do. I've got both hands in the air. And then, and, then, and then Abraham has, a out, has, a, has sex outside of wedlock and conceives an illegitimate child. The text goes on. It says, And Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, there's a lot we can say about Jacob, but we ain't got time. Judah, incidentally, was the father-in-law who slept with Tamar back in Genesis 38. She slept with her father-in-law. Verse 3, Matthew chapter 1. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. This is important, you know, these genealogies. You know, you read, you, we tend to read over these in our Bibles, right? Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by who? Rahab. You know her CV? Rahab was a prostitute. Hey, 
in Jericho. Don't just read over that. How many of you know when we think about prostitutes in our context, that leaves a bad taste in your mouth? It's not necessarily someone you want to associate with. Who would want to be a prostitute? Don't sterilize it because it's in the Bible. What does that mean? Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, and she, like Ruth, is another Gentile foreigner. And she's brought into the family lineage. Rahab's Boaz's mum, if I read that right, who's the father, and Boaz is the father of Obed by Ruth. Remember Ruth at the beginning of Ruth chapter 1 about six times? Ruth the who? Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the outsider. Ruth that bleep, bleep, blankety, blank, come from somewhere we don't even know where. What's she doing here? And she gets in to the lineage. I think, I think there's four women in it, and I think all of them are notorious. And, and the men that ain't no better. Let me just say, by the way. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Oh, dear. David. Notice. And David was the father of Solomon by who? The wife of Uriah. Wow. David, good teaching example of not watching pornography. Because that's what he was doing that day, right? Looking over his balcony at a naked woman. And, 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 and he gave himself to that to the point where it got to the point of no return, fellas. You look at that stuff too hard, you end up doing stuff you don't even want to do. Thinking, how, how did it even find, end up in this place? David, looking at pornography, he then has sex with this woman that's not his wife, committing adultery. Then he gets the woman's husband, encourages drunkenness. Talk about sex, lies, and parchment. Right? The old film, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. They never had videotape back then, right? Sex, and then he commits murder. All in the same family line, in the same lineage. Wow. Verse 7. And, oh, we ain't got time. And Solomon. The father of Rehoboam. You know, at this point, things are so bad. I mean, the kingdom's just started. I mean, it's only been Saul, David, and now Solomon. And at this point, the kingdom splits. You have a divided kingdom. And all because Solomon, my gosh, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. <laughs> yeah, bruv, you laugh at that. May that be a lesson to you as a young man, Kayas. You know what I mean, Kaya? You look at that, you can't, you can't, that don't make no sense to you, right? It don't make no, good. It don't make no sense. Bridging, don't go there. Know that from now, from young. Free, yeah, innit? One is, one is more than enough, brother. Trust me. I tell you that by experience. 700 wives, 300 girlfriends on the side. Solomon encouraged, right, idol worship. And possibly even got involved in it himself. You could say that, that, that Solomon, he loved fast cars, women, and rock and roll. I say he loves fast cars. They never had cars in them days, but they had horses and chariots. And he had enough of them. Women were standard. We saw that, right? The stat, the stat speaks for themselves. And foreign women at that. Fellas, as tempting, as, it, as tempting as it is, don't get involved with a woman that ain't a Christian. You'll end up, like it says in Proverbs, with a, an arrow in your liver. He loved fast cars, he loved women, and he loved rock and roll. He loved music. You know, Solomon loved music. Just like his dad, David, who wrote so many songs. We call them Psalms. 
Solomon was an amazing songwriter. In 1 Kings 4, verse 32, it says, Solomon, he spoke 3,000. You see what you read in Proverbs? That's nothing. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and, he, and, 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 and his songs numbered 1,005. The brother wrote over 1,000 songs. Solomon. Fast cars, women, and rock and roll. Remember, do you remember he won a, an Old Testament Grammy for his music, Solomon? Remember, he wrote the song of songs. Hey! The song of Solomon. It's not a single. Like, it's, like, it's like a whole album, right? So gifted, but so sinful. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but at the same time, he was the most foolish. He was a man who didn't, under, didn't understand his own weaknesses until it was too late. And the list goes on. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah. By the way, I'm skipping a whole heap of drama because of time. Verse 9, and Uzziah, the son of the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. Still there. Father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. You know how things have got so bad that God allows his people to go into captivity at this point. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, there we wept. As we remembered Zion. When the wicked can't go up so high. <laughs> carried us away in captivity, requiring of us a song. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? This is when God called Bonnie M. That's another Christmas special, isn't it? This is when God called time on his family. And they, it's like, that's it. Too much drama. Is that Mary J? Too much drama. No more. No more. And they end up, that's it. God says, you know, no. And he ends up sending them into exile, into Babylonian captivity. Because father after father, son after son just kept on sinning. And so do God's people. And they get taken out of God's place because they refuse to submit to God's rule. And, but then God shows them amazing grace. And brings them back into the promised land, Israel, 70 years later. So verse 12. And And after the, Babylon, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. Now check this, verse 16, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. You're like, wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me that Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the descendant of this messed up family? Absolutely. But remember, Jesus was born to a virgin. That means he didn't inherit the messed up bloodline Unlike everybody else. He wasn't born a sinner. That makes him distinct. He is actually the unique son of God. This is the one that everybody had been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Man sinned and immediately God sets in motion a plan to redeem man. This is the one this is the promised seed at last. This is the promised offspring. 
So yeah, Jesus did come from a messed up, a real messed up family. How many of you know this looks a little bit like our families? Amen? Amen to that honest sister. And it doesn't end there. Oh my gosh. Look. Verse 18. For those of you that are wondering, where's the Christmas in this Christmas story? You see how we got there? Watch. Verse 18, same chapter, Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Oh my gosh, drama. She was found to be with child. I mean, from the Holy Spirit. But Joseph don't know that initially. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and, willing to, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her. I mean, they just got married. I mean, they're not even married. More baby mama drama. Oh my gosh. And all this comes up in John chapter 8 in a sense. Where the religious leaders, they start cussing Jesus. Like, we know who our father is. And it fellas, like we're scribes and Pharisees. We can trace our lineage. But we know who our father is. Yo, Jesus, who's your dad? Who's your dad, Jesus? Especially seeing as he don't even look like Joseph. You get me? And how could he? Joseph wasn't his his father. Drama! Oh my gosh! Right up to and even in... This is Jerry Springer, Jeremy Kyle type stuff. And this is all in the family history of Jesus. Many of Jesus' ancestors... Would have been on embarrassing daytime TV. Hey, crime watch. Police camera action. You wouldn't have been watching Oscar Pistorius up in court. And, and that's there. How about home? You know what I'm saying? Constantly political like, scandals. Every week we hear about a, a, a politician. If you were paying attention, you would see that Matthew took the family line back to who? Abraham. Luke, on the other hand, takes it all the way back to the first culprit, to the first sinner. Luke takes this genealogy all the way back to Adam, which is where it all started in the garden. And God immediately intervened with a pre-planned plan that a woman would have a son by supernatural IVF treatment. No natural, physical, sinful father to pollute this special son. He would be born distinct from the sinful strain without the sinful stain. And that's all in Genesis 3.15. You study it carefully. It's amazing. It's like a pop-up book when you start to open it. It's like... And bear in mind Isaiah 7 verse 14 as we come to the end. Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself... Thank you, Lord. We'll give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's Jesus, by the way. Now, who said that? Isaiah said that. When? 800, Pastor E read from it earlier. 800 years before Mary and Joseph were even born. Wow, the Bible's deep. Keeping with the theme of Christmas, let's wrap this up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary was betro- had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Incidentally, when you trace their lineages, Matthew does one, Luke does another. Joseph's lineage goes back to to David and so does Mary's. It's, It's amazing. But as he considered these things, I read that. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Why? Because he's a redeemer. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And he quotes Isaiah 7. Behold, a virgin 
the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Genesis 3.15. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. As God faithfully promised, he sent a redeemer. Ultimately, it wasn't Boaz, it wasn't Obed, it wasn't David, etc., etc. It was David's great, 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 great grandson. In this whole family photo album, there is only one perfect picture. And it's Jesus. And you know, this is where his human life began. And it would end 30 years later on a rugged cross. Which is where he would do that which he was born to do. Which is die. And die for sinners. This is the amazing story of Christmas. God giving gifts to those who are utterly undeserving. Restoration, reward, and redemption. These three gifts. In contrast to that which is deserved by the recipients in our story. The people we looked at are not deserving of these things. But end up being beneficiaries of God's amazing grace. Jesus welcomes messed up people into his family. That's the story of Ruth. That's the prequel. The Christmas story, which that is the prequel to, was 2,000 years ago. How about the sequel to the Christmas story? See, you and me are given opportunity to appear in the rest of the movie. Would you like to make an appearance? Would you like to be written into this story? Last verse. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14 says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us, redemption, from the domain of darkness and transferred us, as we express faith, into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Even though we look like Ruth the Moabite, even though we're foreigners and outside of God's family, with messed up families and messed up lives, God invites us to become members of his family. Through the ultimate redeemer, not Boaz, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Invite the band members to come and join me. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are reminded this year. There's a lot of drama, Lord, over Christmas and should it be changed to Winterfest and get rid of the spiritual aspect. Thank you, Lord, that it's Christmas. And and my prayer, Lord, is that it will never change. That Christmas will always be a reminder to the world, not just to London, not just to England and the UK and to Europe, but to the whole world. Lord, there there are loads of foreign religious people living in this country. What a blessing for them to be introduced to Jesus via the Christmas story. Father, I pray that Christmas would continue by your grace. And Father, we thank you because it's at Christmas we're reminded that the angels came with that promise. Peace on earth, Lord, to all of, all, all of our messed up relationships. There ain't no one, Lord, who ain't got a messed up life, living in a messed up family, Lord, got a messed up legacy, a messed up history, and probably going to have a messed up future. None of us, Lord. And yet you say, through the gospel, through the good news that was declared to the shepherds and the, sh- and the sheep, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's your heart, Lord God, towards your creation, toward men. Doesn't mean that everyone's accepted it, but you're offering it. I pray, Father, that at Christmas time, we would respond to your goodness, to your kind offer of peace. Oh, how we need it. And it only comes through Jesus. Amen.
To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.